Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders, that's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's me, as in Captain of the Enterprise. And Kirk is actually on the line. <laughs> it's wonderful. Two of us talking to each other. Uh, we are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at LGGPod, and all this information is coagulated on our website, www.lggpodcast.com. Uh, well, as you already know, uh, we're on the line together again. Uh, we're trying a new technology setup that will hopefully give us uh, better sound quality, fewer interruptions. I guess we'll see when I go to edit this, how, how well this comes across. But uh, as with the last one, uh, the sine wave looks good in Audacity. So hopefully this bears up. And this is what our third different technical solution to try to solve this here. I think we keep trying things. By far our least convoluted. So hopefully that bears <laughs> some fruit. Um, so we, uh, we obviously have had some uh, scheduling and production delays. Uh, a lot of it's just due to general busyness. We've both been very slammed. I also got a COVID at the, right before Halloween, which uh, knocked me out for about two weeks. Um, so that, that didn't help. And then the holidays and, and regular things. I actually, I tried to record uh, an episode while I had COVID to do like the COVID, uh, you know, <laughs> live, live episode. Uh, no, that was not possible. I couldn't get through three sentences without coughing. So, uh, so <laughs> It's, it's weird, though. Like when I tell people I've had COVID, everybody always wants to know what it was like. Like nobody asks you when you have the flu. Oh, well, how was it? You know, you're just like, oh, I'm just glad you're better. But for COVID, everybody wants the story. But uh, there's not much to say other than I was very tired and I got all caught up on both my sleep and my Netflix backlog. By the way, have you watched The Queen's Gambit yet? I have not. Um, all right. You need to. Is it, is it Netflix or is it? I think it's Netflix. I don't remember, yeah, honestly. Don't Netflix. Oh, okay. Well, uh, if you ever get a chance, you need to watch that. Uh, it was it was good. That's the only recommendation I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out here. Um, so today's episode, we're gonna try and return to our more conventional format where we talk about legal issues related to geek things. Uh, this is actually a topic that Kirk came up with uh, when we were planning season three, uh, foolishly and pointlessly planning season three well, last January. January. Yeah, uh, that, that wound up being a huge waste of time. Uh, but we wanted to do an episode on uh, basically something to do with Baby Yoda, who at the time was a, a hot thing and, and probably still is, really. Um, although uh, Kirk hasn't seen season two of The Mandalorian yet, so we'll be avoiding a, a lot of spoilers here. But the reason Baby Yoda is, is interesting, uh, aside from the character aspects, is uh, the knockoffs. Kirk, have you seen Baby Yoda knockoffs? <laughs> yeah, it's, they're impossible to avoid. I mean, you see, you see them all over the place. I mean, originally when they first came out and part of when we were deciding to do this episode, one of the big things in conjunction with Baby Yoda knockoffs is there wasn't really that much official stuff out yet. There was, I couldn't tell what it was. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, the other thing you bump into, and I think it's, it's relevant, is the name Baby Yoda, you know, in the course of doing this. You know, it is called The Child. It is not called Baby Yoda, but obviously everybody calls it Baby Yoda. It reminds me of that Mike Myers skit from Saturday Night Live. Baby Yoda, neither baby nor Yoda. Discuss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although it technically could be Yoda, I suppose. Yeah, I guess we don't really know that yet. <laughs> but, you know, we got things that the... Um, that was one of the things that I think was really interesting is that, you know, it came out... I think The Mandalorian hit, and I think Baby Yoda was a much bigger hit than anybody expected. Uh, clearly, and, because they weren't ready, right? They didn't have the stuff ready to make that everybody wanted. 
Yeah, and I mean that's you know kind of classic Star Wars. If I remember rightly, you know there was always the empty box for Christmas from the original <laughs> you know series sets. I know we talked about that on the show before, but you know it's for a classic Star Wars to you know put the show out there and not have the toys ready. <laughs> if anybody should have learned this lesson by now, it's Lucasfilm. <laughs> You would think so, yes. He's done this before. Yeah, although I guess George doesn't own it anymore, so maybe that's Disney. Although, again, when I think merchandising rights, Disney is like second after after Star Wars, so you'd think they'd have this down. But at any event, uh, Baby Baby Yoda merch was was the thing, and um, the, the knockoff showed up. And we actually did an episode kind of like this back, I think it was our third or fourth episode. We did one on unauthorized like Minecraft stuff. Yeah. Uh, one of our, our more popular episodes in season one, which I looked it up, by the way, that was 2017. Can you believe it's been three years? We've been, we've been doing this now. Um, <laughs> well, it's season three, so I suppose, yes. Yeah, I know. It just it doesn't seem like it's been that long. So anyway, we haven't talked about this particular topic in a while, so we thought we would. If, if you're somehow not familiar with Baby Yoda, um, it's it comes from the Disney Plus TV series, The Mandalorian, part of the Star Wars universe, starring uh, Pedro Pascal as a Mandalorian bounty hunter, whose name I'm not sure they ever actually mentioned in the show, but I looked it up, and it's Din Djarin. Is okay, that yeah, any bells? I don't think they've ever said his name officially on it. He is just Mando or the Mandalorian. Yeah, they call him Mando. Yeah. So uh, the show has been well received. It's uh, we've talked about it. It's it's not flawless, but I think it's done a really nice job of expanding the Star Wars universe in an interesting way that does not overexplain. Like we haven't had a midichlorian moment yet in the Mandalorian. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because we were talking about this beforehand. Part of the reason I have not seen season two of the Mandalorian. I've been wanting to watch it, but my kids don't want me to watch it until they're caught up. Yeah. And they've decided they want to watch The Mandalorian. And so we have actually started re-watching season one, three mm-hmm. episodes into season one. And the comment that I made with it, I mean, I remember watching it and sort of us, you know, picking it apart a little bit on this show when it first came out. Watching it again, it's a surprisingly good show. It's really kind of amazing how well done it is. And, and again, like there were things with it where, you know, now that I know that the end points and stuff you can talk about, it's, you know, there, there's things that I could point out to the kids, like notice what is chasing him. You know, it's a battle droid. It really is a surprisingly good show. And actually what really stunned me is it's surprisingly well acted. I was very, I, I, so we kind of watched, we watched the first season, first episode as well. Uh, Charlie wanted to, to watch the new episode, but the other kids weren't available. So I said, okay, we'll just, he didn't watch the first season at all. So I remember being, um, you know, intrigued, but, but, but underwhelmed by it when I first watched it and and kind of nitpicking and finding a lot of flaws but as i as i rewatched it i had the same experience you did it really holds up really well the multiple viewing so uh, and i think that's a testament to both the the attention to detail in a good way not that the films didn't have attention to detail but the, the 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 sequel trilogy did not really seem to embrace the expanded and extended universe and sort of the 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 fan lore the same way that the Mandalorian does. The Mandalorian feels like a professional movie made by fans of Star Wars as opposed to just a studio product. Yeah, I think that I, I do sort of agree with you. I think it's it's one of those where there there it has a bit of labor love um, feel to it. And just, you know, small details, like one of the things we really noted in episode one uh, of season one is, you know, when you see the stormtroopers for the first time, they're, they're kind of beat up, you know, their armor's kind of beat up. It's clearly showing that they're old. The other thing with it is, and something I hadn't noted at the time, but I definitely noted now, none of them have the right blasters. They're using all sorts of weird weapons, most of which are essentially pistols or handguns. So they're probably scavenging gear at this point. Yeah. And, and it's one of those, like, that's a tiny little detail. Um, it's one of those things. But when you saw it again, I'm like, yeah, these guys look ad hoc. It looks like they're, you know, not really doing, you know, they're not really stormtroopers. 
Mm-hmm. And even the way they behave, they don't seem to really behave like stormtroopers. And I'm like, they don't say anything about it. They never make a point out of that. But it feels that way. And that's a, a really nice fan moment for it. So this is all to say, we're, we're going to probably get into spoilers for season one, episode one. I mean, this, this episode's called Baby Yoda. So we've already spoiled one thing, but it's the first- <laughs> we can't avoid spoiling season episode one. If yeah. you're somehow unaware of it, you're listening to the wrong podcast. So uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> ass- we'll assume everybody has at least seen season one. If you have not, um, I mean, there's not a lot that really happens happens from a plot perspective, but we may get into some of those things as we d- discuss this. Um, and we're going to avoid talking about season two at all because Kirk has not seen it. And I'm Im- impatiently waiting for him to get caught up. There's, I-, I have thoughts and I need to share them with somebody. So so let's talk about Baby Yoda merch. You know, fundamentally, what's, Kirk, what would you say is the number one problem that these knockoffs are going to have with trying to produce Baby Yoda merch? <laughs> one is it's you know, going to be a violation of copyright. Yeah, right. We're, we're, we're in character copyright, clearly. But so let's go back to our character copyright. Let's back up. So copyright, in case you haven't listened to one of us uh, talk about this in a while, what, what is copyright about? It's about copying, right? It's, it's really about taking somebody else's original work and, and reproducing it and, and, and distributing it or displaying it to the public in some way. So obviously a Baby Yoda merch is infringing the copyright in, in the appearance of the Baby Yoda character. But the, the character copy, other than the appearance though, could you do other things with the character? And this is, this is something we talked about in our three-part series from our first season with visual characters, it's a little easier to say, well, you've obviously taken the way that it looks, but what if you were to write a piece of fan fiction or something like that instead that does not show the visual depiction, but just refers to the child? Is that character sufficiently defined to merit copyright protection as a character? That's a tough call when you have a character that doesn't talk doesn't really move, doesn't say anything, doesn't have a name, doesn't have a personality. It yeah. just looks like somebody we know. And that's the, the one thing about it is the fact that, when we, again, we're using the term Baby Yoda. Officially, the name is the child. Um, and we can't say that you own you know, a trademark or a copyright in simply a character named the child. Oh, exactly. Um, it's too generic of a name. And so, yeah, you really get into those those kind of th- questions with it is how sufficiently delineated is this character? And, and the interesting thing from a legal perspective of, of where this comes from in character copyright, basically they've said, characters have to be sufficiently delineated in order to be available for copyright protection. The issue you you get into is what does it mean to be sufficiently delineated to be a character? And if you look through the, the case history in this, visual characters get more protection than characters that don't have any visual depiction. Which makes some intuitive sense, right? Like if you're going to draw Superman in a comic book, well, now I know what he looks like. And so if somebody else draws a character that looks similar, then okay, well, then you've infringed a visual work of art. But it's a lot trickier when you have either characters only defined narratively in prose or if, you know, or, or the question of what, that I just proposed, where you have a visually defined character, but you reference, you know, just reference that character in uh, a non-visual medium. I think that's a lot, a lot harder. And that's where we see courts really struggling to figure out how to deal with it and kind of falling back on, on trademark type analysis, even though they're looking at copyright. And this is a relevant question right now. There's actually discussion. There's some, some case law and some legislation that's bouncing around having to do with sh- what is the standard for this sufficiently delineated and should we get rid of it? Um, and I mean, there's been some questions about that. I think for the most part, the industry is pushing back and saying, no, you really do need these sufficiently delineated characters to be entitled to character copyright. We shouldn't just allow anything to get copyright. The concern here and what it bumps into, and again, sort of if you jump into the case law, one of the major cases on sufficiently delineated had to do with a draft script. Um, and it was the draft script for a bunch of ex Vietnam veterans mm-hmm. who drove around in a van and saved people. Yes. I'm talking about the A team, but the script was not for the A team. 
the script was proposed to be this sort of general idea. They laid out the basics of what the characters were, um, what their personalities were. And when you read through the description, it sounds a lot like the characters from the A-Team. The studio ended up making the A-Team, did not buy the script uh, from the individual script writer. That, that resulted in the lawsuit about this. And I can't remember what his original script was called. It had a different name. It was Cargo. Cargo, that's it, yeah. And and the issue with it is, is how were, were the characters of him sufficiently defined in this, you know, this basic script treatment with it where they didn't necessarily have names, uh, but they had basic personalities and the determination was no, these are not sufficiently defined to what it is in order to constitute a copyright infringement. There, yeah. there are archetypes, right? That was the analysis. Yeah. Is, is it a character or is it just an archetype? Like, is it, is it a mad scientist or is it Dr. Jekyll? Yeah. And those types of things as to, you know, what you got into um, from it, they, they said they're not sufficiently defined uh, to, in order to constitute character copyright. And one of the things I got into is it's where does stuff become sufficiently defined? And I found this to be a very interesting question. And when I got into, when I did, and we've talked about it previously, you know, I did a, a major research paper um, into universe and character copyrights and stuff like that. And one of the questions I bumped into is how much does the cop, the character need a name? Um, how much do you bump into the fact that the character needs a name to really be sufficiently delineated and that name needs to be copied? It's one thing to say, you know, mystical futuristic knight. It's another thing to say Luke Skywalker. And that's one of the issues with Baby Yoda. Yeah. Baby Yoda doesn't have a name. And, and really, what is is it a, a specific character or an archetype? I mean, at this point, Star Wars has been part of the, the zeitgeist since 1977, our entire lives, you know, multiple generations. Isn't um, mystical space wizard just an archetype now? <laughs> yeah, and you sort of bump into that, you know, kind of things. And there's obviously mystical space wizard is out there that is not a, you know, a Jedi knight. Um, we have science fiction knights. We have the idea that, you know, the, this idea of in some sense using archaic weapons in the far future, the number of swords that exist for characters in the far future uh, is a thing. And it's a Warhammer 40,000 background behind me. You know, one of the running jokes in conjunction with Warhammer 40,000 is that the tank commanders are always carrying sword. Now there's an obviously cavalry reference to that, the sort of, you know, existing World War II piece to it, but you can buy t-shirts and they're running jokes that show sort of the guy sitting on the top of a tank holding a sword that the, the running comment is drive closer so I can hit them with my sword. <laughs> um, you know, and you kind of look at it and you're like, you know, the guy's in a tank. I'm like, why are you, why do you have a sword? What good does yeah. this do? It's, it's you know ceremonial in that sense whereas with the jedis it's it's like you know it's a, a definition of the of their the religion their their ethos so all that kind of stuff ethos i guess so yeah th there's there's a fundamental question there as to whether baby yoda is sufficiently delineated to i mean a, as a visual depiction clearly it is plus it also looks like regular yoda so th you yeah. know there, there's that too i guess another question is if we find out that it is yoda now is the protection different because yoda is such a well-established character and that seems strange to me that the level of copyright protection of the character depends upon whether they later tell us it is Yoda or not, or a clone of Yoda. Is, is this is this something we want courts and juries to be doing in copyright infringement cases? Is trying to doing what we do, try to predict what's going to happen in these shows, <laughs> or or you know another thing, if if you have a suit filed over over copyright infringement and one of the issues is the character is not sufficiently distinct, okay, well then in the next episode now it is Yoda. There solved. I mean th that, this doesn't seems to me like this is not how the law should work. Yeah, and definitely the one concern with it is it being re potentially retroactive of the idea that, you know, as of right now, we don't know. You know, if it is Yoda and they said, you know, two episodes from now, it is Yoda. Well, we don't know now. So, you know, how can we now say it's entitled to character copyright at this instant because it's Yoda, even though nobody knows it's Yoda? Yeah. Um, 
And likewise, if it winds up being a clone of Yoda, okay, well, now now we're actually getting into like the meta of the show. Like, would a jury have to figure out, or, or a judge, well, if it's a clone of a character that is sufficiently delineated, does the clone also get copyright protection? <laughs> I mean, it's a clone. And then you get into like the, the Thrawn trilogy where you'd say, well, in the Thrawn trilogy, the clones are not the same character, especially if they're force sensitive. So, so it, and, and now maybe is that canon or not becomes relevant to, to a copyright infringement question. Yeah, you're going to get into all sorts of sort of, you know, weird issues. And it's again, weird. You don't want courts looking into the idea of what's the meta of a universe that's fictional to determine what the legal standing of it is. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Well, in this case, I think they'd have an easy out of saying, well, look, it's if you, if you write something there, if you do a visual depiction, it's clear copyright infringement. Uh, if you write something up that that references the character, it's probably a, a, a tougher case. But the, the market for, for that type of product is probably very limited. Baby Yoda is popular because it's adorable. And so <laughs> doing something in text is probably not going to produce any real damages, you know, or anything like that. So other than a potential trademark type interest where you have to enforce to maintain the rights, you know, the, the hypothetical I propose is sort of a, a law school final nightmare type question that, that one has no answer and, and two is unlikely to ever come up in practice because realistically, what what are the losses? There aren't any. Yeah. And I think the other thing you, you bump into is, you know, because baby Yoda does look like Yoda as another established character, Star Wars is enough established that I think you're starting to get looks of characters and essentially to say for lack of a better term the the races of characters in the star wars universe are starting to become accepted as star wars characters not just archetypes so again you know we have our series droids like everybody recognizes yep. what our series droid looks like they're different colors there's slight variations on them but they are what they are. And again, we, you know, we were at Disney World before this began. We went to the droid factory in Galaxy's Edge. You build a BB series droid or you build an R series droid. One of my, my kids each built one of each one. Um, and you know, you recognize R series droids or R series droids, even though there's a huge number of different ways you can put the parts together. Mm -hmm. They all look similar. And I think we're seeing a lot of that, quite frankly, in the Star Wars universe right now. Um, they're expanding it in a bunch of ways. Again, the other thing we've been watching is Clone Wars on and off. You know, in Clone Wars, Vilex become a serious character. Like you actually mm -hmm. really get the Twi'leks are part of the, the universe and what they are and who they are and what they look like. You know, I think that you're starting to see that in some of this and where when we talk about Star Wars and we talk about Baby Yoda, we are talking about a franchise that has potentially character copyright beyond individual characters just because there's and so much storytelling behind certain races and certain characters. Yeah, the, the look and feel of the Star Wars universe, sort of the, the tone, the color palette, the way that things are designed, I could I could probably give you you know, a piece of, of concept art that you've never seen before. And you could probably tell me with about a 75% accuracy rate, whether this was drawn for, you know, a, a never produced Star Wars show or, or movie or something or, or, or not. Now, again, that's not to say that you're going to be entitled to character copyright. So, you know, a race you introduce in Star Wars, but it's something where for certain of these established ones, particularly if there's a major character that is an alien depiction, you're probably going to get some association with it. And again, I mean, I can even jump back. You know, you go to something like, um, you know, Babylon 5, a lizard man is not going to be something you can necessarily say you have protection in. But obviously Babylon 5 had races, you know, a race that effectively was lizard men. But you can look at it and kind of say, hey, that's a well enough defined race you don't necessarily have to copy the individual character to still potentially bump into a character copyright. I think we got to put that into the baby Yoda piece. So the fact that Yoda was a very well-defined,
defined character, a very mm-hmm. unique character when he came out. I mean, there really is nothing else that looked like Yoda at the point in time he came out. That distinct look carrying into Baby Yoda is potentially going to grant it more protection than if Baby Yoda had been its own thing, if he just simply created, you know, a, an entirely new race for it. Uh, but yeah, I think you've got some, you know, you've got a lot of stuff sort of associated with that. And again, it'll be interesting to see what it is. But yeah, sort of going to the thing with it, I think we can look at it and say, you know, most of the people making knockoff products want the visual depiction. The whole point, yep. Baby Yoda is Baby Yoda is adorable. And and that's really the whole idea. Now, part of it is he behaves like a baby mm-hmm. and has kind of weird baby type things. So the example, the one I pick on is that, you know, in episode two, him eating the frog, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those sort of hilarious moments because it's not what you expect. You don't expect a baby to swallow a frog whole. It, it defines the character a little bit. It starts to give you little inklings of his personality and what he does and, and things like that. And I think it's also important to point out that even, even for characters that are not well delineated, you do still have, in a movie at least, a, a character design element. Like a salacious crumb, the little creature that sits by Jabba, like doesn't really have a personality other than he laughs at everything. But you you still have a visual design for it. And that's probably what distinguishes these the most from some of the prior cases we've seen involving characters like Sherlock Holmes and, and characters like that, which you know the visual depictions came after the initial narrative definitions. Star Wars obviously doesn't have that problem, but you still get into these these fan fiction issues, which is something that that our listeners in particular have have always been interested in. If I want to write fan fiction, what can I do? And and we've talked about this in prior episodes, and there's there's just really no good answer other than you know to the extent that these these content owners like Paramount and, and Lucasfilm they'll publish uh, what do you call them like like guidelines or fan fiction kits. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Their their concern is probably I would guess more in the trademark realm because if you don't enforce your trademarks, you, you lose them at some point. But uh, I, I don't know whether that how it's going to apply here it's almost like a trade dress type argument which we kind of covered in our very first episode about uh the rogue one trailer does it look or feel like star wars yeah i think you you really get some some interesting that i think salacious clum is a great example actually because you're talking about a character that only appeared in return of the jedi he's appeared in none of the other movies as far as i know and is not really a character in many respects i mean he's he's a pet race appears in mandalorian everybody knows exactly what it is it's hilarious because of the mm-hmm. way he's trade they're being eaten they're essentially a food product but this is a character with very little depiction and again it's clearly not the same character you know salacious crumb is presumed presumably yeah, died blew up on the sail barge um, so you know we have to assume that it's not the same character um you know existing here again it's something of the same kind of race what do you do with this where are the standards for it Talking about the idea of them putting out, you know, fan fiction guidelines, you know, and, and stuff like that. I think a lot of it, quite frankly, is they realize fans are going to want to do this. And mm-hmm. so they try to put out, here's what we th- we're okay with. You know, look, yeah. we are okay with this. But we also want to make sure that we can sort of license the property in certain official ways. That, that maintain the value for both them and for the licensee. Yeah, and this is where we we've, we often said in prior episodes, follow the money. And we don't mean that in a cynical way, although the cynical way is also true. Copyright infringement takes place on a, a broad scale basis every day. I don't know for sure, but I very much doubt that all these animated GIFs that people post as memes, I'm skeptical that any of these platforms that are distributing this, and I know none of the users, have gotten permission from NBC to use that clip or from Steve Carell to use his likeness. You know, but this happens, uh, again, there's probably millions of these posted a day uh, for for countless different properties. Nothing is done about it because what's the point? What what are the damages that you're going to get out of it? But this leads to a common misconception that, well, if I'm not making money off of it, then it's not copyright infringement, which you and I both know is not true. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it still may be. You know, it's hard to figure out what's official. It's hard to figure out what's unofficial. I do think that's part of the reason why you also have sort of official releases by studios and official licensing sort of pieces. And that's, I, I think, what you really get into with a lot of these things. And again, this idea of not 
knockoffs. One of the real concerns you bump into in conjunction with knockoffs is quality. And the example, like one of the ones I remember, just sort of getting back to the idea of what's original. And, and for those of you who maybe you know younger in this, you don't remember this, but obviously when I was in high school, one of the important things was wearing Hard Rock Cafe t-shirts. That was a huge deal. And you know you you could go and you could get them at Hard Rock Cafes and stuff like that. You also had enormous number of knockoffs because they were very simple. And there's actually some some question around exactly what the trademark and copyright rights were in those. But one of the things you noted is the ones that were, you know, you bought on a street from a street vendor at a table, you know, a block away from the Hard Rock Cafe were both substantially cheaper, but they were oftentimes not as good a quality. And a lot of times what they also did is they weren't entirely accurate. Ben just popped up a, a joke here in conjunction with Star Wars Hard Rock Cafe shirts uh, from Moss Eisley Cantina. <laughs> yeah, so I just, I, Kirk just made me think of this. I've seen this shirt before, which is a Hard Rock Cafe style of shirt. But instead of Hard Rock Cafe, it says Moss Eisley Cantina and then Tatooine on the bottom as though Moss Eisley is like a <laughs> a chain of, <laughs> of, 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 ta- of taverns that don't like droids. Yeah. Um, I, guess, I guess not so much recently. Here's another example. Like, the, so is this is this parody? Is this satire? Would this be protected? I mean, this obviously, I don't want to say obviously, but I would argue there's not a strong trademark infringement argument here, although they're taking the same. And we'll, we'll, I'll see if we can find a copy of this to tweet out too, so you guys can see what we're looking at. But it, it's the same style. But is anybody going to be confused about whether whoever made this T-shirt is actually associated with the Hard Rock Cafe? Yeah, I mean, this is a great, it's a great joke. Even the fact that they changed the sort of you know stereotypical like brown or yellow, whatever color you want to call it, circle um, in the background, and they basically made the sun setting over um, the Jabba's Palace. It looks like, yeah, you know, in the sun's setting, I should say. Over, um, it, it's one of those things where you know they, it's clearly a riff off of it, but you got to and, and and for purposes of trademark infringement, you look at it and say, is it playing off of the trademark's you know success? And it does appear to be doing that. At the same time. It's clearly not authorized as Hard Rock Cafe, you know. Well, and then when you when you blend two things like that, so there's two questions. So the Moss Eisley one, for example. So you know, Hard Rock Cafe probably doesn't have a really strong claim here. Although it's not crazy to say that the market for this, you know, this shirt design is based on its similarity to Hard Rock, and that it's trading off the popularity of Hard Rock Cafe. What about the other side, though? Doesn't doesn't Lucasfilm have an argument? No, 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 no. People want it because it says Moss Eisley Cantina Tatooine. That's our stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it does have a silhouette of Jabba's palace. And if I don't know if that's exactly what it looks like, but the twin sons, the palace, that that is vaguely at least reminiscent of actual you know scenes in the film. So they may have more than a, it, it may pass the laugh test, let's say. When you blend things like this, you get into a whole separate set of issues where you're inviting the, the attention of, of two different, probably very large content holders who both want you to stop. Yeah, or you potentially look at it and they both think it's funny and it's, it's not close enough to either one of them to actually have an issue. And with it, and obviously you see a lot of this. I mean, it's just one of these things, and it's not necessarily that was the point of this episode, but this is an interesting sort of thing to get into: is the idea of blending multiple people's, uh, you know, intellectual property together in a way which creates something entirely new. So again, we kind of look at this and we say, hey, you're blending these these two pieces of intellectual property together. It creates something entirely new, but it is a riff off of both of them. And what does that mean? You know, where do you, you know, where do you draw the line in conjunction with these things? And this is difficult. I mean, there's no question this is difficult. Now we're getting more into trademark law here. There are also a lot of other, you know, famous properties they've done this with. I think there's a little question that has been played off of Game of Thrones. Um, And and that's one of those things we really, we kind of do need to get into in conjunction with Baby Yoda, because in some sense, we're talking about Baby Yoda itself being a blending of IP, you know, between new from the blend from what was in Empire Strikes Back. 
actually the, the game of thrones comment is a good one because have, have you ever seen any of the shows any of the episodes yeah i've seen the entire season okay one. so you're familiar with the, the the very notable introduction though where like the 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 gears turn and the cities all kind of pop up out of the ground and that idea of of um having everything kind of pop up and grow in real time the big 10 foot or i guess just the big 10 conference generally borrowed let's say from this for a little 30 second commercial spot that they run incessantly during all of the hawkeye games that i watch <laughs> but it does the same thing it starts with the Rose Bowl in California, and then it goes through Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, and starts moving east across the country and popping up little Game of Thrones type models of like iconic either buildings or or or, or references to, to each school. Um, it was pretty neat at first, although after five years of, of seeing it, I'm kind of tired of it. Is, is there a cop or is there a trait? I mean, there's no copyright interest. Again, idea, expression, dichotomy. The idea is not protected. The particular expression is but could they argue that that over the the number of seasons that they had that, that they've established some sort of trademark right in that concept that would be broad? Yeah, and that's I, I think you you really get into this is this is difficult. And I think that's it's very the, difficult the to, to be telling people about this is you know we are getting into areas right now that you re, we really can't answer. I mean we we joke about the fact that you know this is shows an interesting asks interesting questions with no answers. This is one that really has no answer. You know of where is the line here? None of these are clear on either side. And we, we've speculated that one of the reasons there are no answers is, well, there's two, two main reasons, I think. One is that a lot of these issues are, are are relatively new, of recent vintage. And also, in the handful of cases where there's actually enough money at stake and you got somebody on the defendant side that wants to fight about it, they settle. We had the, the Axonar case settled. You know, these, these cases don't go all the way through to a judgment or an appellate decision, which would give us some actual law about it. Uh, they tend to settle. And we've kind of speculated that maybe it's because nobody really wants an answer, that people are sort of happy with the uh, um, the, the vague and ambiguous uh, detente that's been struck at this point where they'll, they'll let you know if you've overstepped a line and then things just kind of get resolved privately. I think that's a, a lot of the things to keep in mind with this. And again, I think probably turning to our basic topic of the idea of, you know, Baby Yoda, quite frankly, I think that's a lot of what we're going to see here and what we've seen here mm -hmm. is, you know, Disney looking at it and saying, you know, we don't necessarily going to stop all the uses of Baby Yoda but we are going to stop some and what are we going to stop and what are we not going to stop? And, Particularly and, the commercial ones, right? It's people who are selling things are going to be the yeah. number one target because they're they're making money trading off of something that they didn't come up. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, they want to make products like that. They want to be able to put those out there. You know, they've got to be paying attention to, you know, unofficial products that are related to that. But again, you know, where do they draw that line? Where do they say, hey, this is a product we want to do, a product we don't want to do? And maybe that's sort of the real takeaway of this episode is when you get into these issues of knockoff products that people just simply want products. And that's the fundamental question here is, is what can people not named Disney or Lucasfilm do with this? And and it's, it's interesting, especially when you consider that the, the people buying the knockoffs for the most part, probably don't know or don't care. It's not like it's a it's a Louis Vuitton bag or something where the brand name is important. No one cares whether it's licensed or not. Usually, you know, people like us, you know, nerds who place a premium on on that kind of thing. We might, plus we're lawyers, so we might yeah. notice uh, at least notice whether we care or not. But uh, I think your average consumer just sees the thing and they want it, and they don't really care where it came from. They care about what it costs and how fast it can get to them. And well, I've got a hard stop here coming up in about five minutes, so we're going to wrap up. Kirk, any any closing? thought. I think the real thing with this is, and again, what we, the, the real takeaway from this is we, we got into some really complicated issues with this and figuring out, and it's a really complicated issue, partially because of the fact that we're dealing with right or a bit amorphous. And when you look at how those rights get attached, we have a character in Baby Yoda that's different from most other characters. He's popular because he's adorable. 
He's not popular because he's necessarily Yoda's baby, <laughs> you know, or anything yeah. else. You know, how do we deal with this under character copyright that really is the idea of it being an individual uh, and having a personality and stuff like that that's kind of the standard for what it is efficiently delineated with a character that is, is only delineated by being cute. So um, we'll wrap that up. Um, this would be probably our second to last Edamame episode. I think we're going to do some sort of, we've usually done a, a holiday special, which has generally been some kind of Star Wars themed uh, Maybe the new uh, holiday special, the new Lego hardware holiday special is what we Yes, we can talk about that one, which which had all kinds of references to the original Star Wars holiday special. So we'll, we'll do something else with Star Wars, which is our, our favorite topic for our holiday special. And that'll probably put a bow on 2020. Good riddance. And we'll hopefully have uh, we'll start season four in 2021. And I think we want to return to our longer format. Um, I thought this technology setup worked out better than what we tried before. So maybe we'll keep doing this and see if that works until we can get back together. So anyway, check out our website, lggpodcast.com. It has links to our various platforms where you can download prior episodes and you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and by email. Subscribe to this podcast on the platforms and give us a review to help new listeners find us. You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Siders and you can find Kirk at Kirk DMN. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lorem, lay us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. So we're rewatching season one. It's way better than I remembered. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. I've been stunned to that. It's like, we watched the first three episodes and my wife's like, this is actually really good. All right. So uh, I'll kick us off here and um, then we'll, we'll go.